If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, I'm going to continue in our series that uh, we started last week, talking about the songs of Christmas. Did you all enjoy Mary's song last week? Was that good? Encouraging for you? Two, three of you? Nobody? Okay, great. Awesome. Well, we're going to enjoy this week, uh, we're going to continue to talk about the, uh, uh, the, the songs of Christmas. And, um, you know, we, we talked about Mary last week. And in, in the order in the Bible, we see as far as songs that are developed or sung at that moment or prophesied or whatever you want to say. Excuse me. Uh, Mary's may have come first, but the reality of it is, is that uh, Zechariah's story and Zechariah and Elizabeth's story really start the Christmas account in Luke chapter 1. The Christmas story started with this couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And uh, you may remember Elizabeth, we talked about her last week. She is a relative of Mary's. And how uh, Mary, after hearing what the angel had said to her, she immediately hurried off over to uh, Elizabeth's house to find out what was going on. Elizabeth, who at the time was six months pregnant, and uh, Elizabeth in the house as Mary walks in, and we talked about how as soon as Mary walks in, uh, the baby, John the Baptist, leaps with joy inside of her womb and they're filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. That's a pretty powerful moment. You know what I love about the Christmas story? Christmas time, people say, it's always about the kids. We always got kids, kids. Listen, man, it's always been about kids from the very beginning. Isn't that cool? You know, and you realize that uh, you, you look at that situation and, and uh, the Holy Spirit fills the first one in, in, in this New Testament Working here throughout the Word of God, you see a baby is filled with the Holy Spirit first. An unborn child. A fetus. Flesh. I'm mocking our culture, by the way. Just in case anybody wonders. What I love about the gospel message and everything all through the gospel, we see these things. We obviously know... Elizabeth was pregnant last week. We talked about that. But, but uh, here's the cool thing about the gospel. You always find life in dead places. Always find life in places where there should be no life. You know, you've got one, Elizabeth, who is an, a, a lady who is obviously beyond or late in her years where she should be beyond her childbearing years where she bears a child. And uh, that, that womb should have been dead. As a matter of fact, the womb was dead, considered dead, and said that the womb was barren. She had been barren. And now suddenly there's life in a dead place. Isn't that cool? And with Mary, here's a cool thought with Mary. With Mary, God uses not only a dead womb, He uses a new womb. A new womb, a womb that shouldn't have life in it because it's new, it's virgin, it's, it's never been touched. There's no way that there could be life there, but yet God finds life. Listen, that's how Jesus Christ is. We go to a tomb, the tomb was empty, and you find life where there should be death. And Jesus wasn't just buried in any old tomb, it was a, what kind of a tomb? It was a new tomb. Isn't that neat? Has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. That's extra. So as we go through this, as we look at this, we, we realize and see the hand of God on this couple's life and what they're doing. If you look at Luke chapter 1, we're going to do what we did last week. We're going to find the seed of His praise. In other words, 
There, there's, there's history. There's always a history. There's a life that must be lived. There's always a circumstance that's got to be lived through. There's a seed that's sown into our life. God will allow circumstances that's either going to lay dormant, it's going to grow into bitterness, or it's going to grow into a praise for Him. And what we're going to see here with Zechariah is his history, and, and, the, and really the history, the seed that brought forth the praise that it did. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well on in years. God is not a God of coincidences. God is purposeful in everything that He does. And it's really clear as to who Zechariah, what lineage he was a part of, it says that they were both in the lineage and heritage of Aaron. Aaron the priest. Aaron the first high priest. Aaron who went with Moses. Because you all remember Moses. Moses said, I can't go talk to people. I'm a man of stammering lips. I stutter. I'm afraid. I don't know how, what I'm supposed to say. I, I, what, what, what can I do, God? And he said, fine. He said, I'll have Aaron speak for you. Aaron went to speak with Moses and for Moses, and now in the lineage and heritage of Aaron, God is raising up the one that is going to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. John the Baptist. God's purposeful. God knows what He's doing. Amen? But look at this. They were both devout in their faith. They were both upright. This couple loved God. Look what it says. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Let me just tell you something. Observing all the regulations blamelessly was not an easy task. But yet he did it. Listen, here's the cool thing about Zechariah. In the time that that they were headed into there where Jesus was being born into this earth, the priesthood over a 400 year period, it was bad in, in, in Malachi's day. Malachi addressed it 400 years before about how the priesthood was messed up. Remember they were taking sacrifices that were, were not worthy and they were, they were encouraging divorce and things of that nature and breaking of covenants and God told them to quit throwing their tears on the altar, go back and, and, and set things right. You remember that? And then at the end of Malachi, he talks about a redeemer that's coming. 400 years later, do you think it got better or worse? But there was one. There was a guy named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth who had been considered blameless before God. A priest. To me, it would be like Lot in the middle of Sodom. This guy gets it. This guy's seen things around him that aren't be done, aren't being done like they should be. This guy has taken responsibility for himself and he's leading himself and his wife in holiness and honoring God in the midst of a time where people are buying things out and there's compromises and money talks. But they had one problem. She couldn't have a baby. He's a great guy, but there's always a but in the story, isn't there? Great big but. This guy, they had a problem. They couldn't conceive children together. This is a test. 
You talk about a test, that's a real test. Because in their culture, children weren't just the blessing of God, children were the stamp of approval from God. In other words, if you didn't have a kid, then God is upset with either you or your wife. You've done something wrong. You've got hidden sin in your life. You, you, Zechariah, and maybe that was something that drove him to be a blameless man. I don't know. But if you didn't, then you are a sinful man, and God, for whatever reason, people in their minds, they never said it maybe to their face, but in their minds had believed that God had intended to wipe his lineage and his heritage off the face of the earth. No more children for you. It was a struggle. And some people would say, Pastor, what, what are you talking about? Why are you saying that that's, not, that that's such a big deal to them? Listen, every time Sarah would, Sarah, every time Elizabeth would have to go somewhere, she'd have to hear it. She'd have to see it. People's kids talking about everybody else. Oh, look at my great family. Oh, look, oh, look, look. Every time they go to church, whoever's got the biggest family is the most blessed from God. And now here she is with a righteous man, a righteous woman, love God, devout. And yet there's this stigma on their life that maybe people won't publicly say or bring up to them. But they look down and go, hmm, wonder what's wrong with them. It's one of those things. You know what I'm talking about? One of those things. We all have those things in our lives. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe you're not there. Maybe you've never been there before. You know that thing? Everybody's got that thing in their life where you believe God, you trust God, you pray, you hear from God, you hear promises from God, and, you, and, and you're just continuing with God, and yet you're just not seeing the breakthrough that you believed for. That's Zechariah and Elizabeth. Every day, day in and out, every day they get up, they know they don't have children. They're not going to have children. And they live their entire lives. They live decades finally convincing themselves there'll be no children from our household. We're old. We've gotten along in years. There's no way. And this was bitterness to them. You say, Pastor, how can you say that this was bitterness to them? How can you get that from all of that? Because if you skip down to verse 25 in the same chapter, once Elizabeth finds out that she is pregnant, she says this, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, the Lord has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Disgrace. Everybody say disgrace. Disgrace. Do you know what disgrace means? It means every time you walk into a room and people stop talking, you know they were talking about you when you got in there. Disgrace means that every time you walk into a group and people one at a time turn away and walk away, as as you walk up, it's because they know that your circumstance that you're carrying is too heavy for them and they don't even want to talk about it. That's disgrace. Disgrace is when you you go to a, a, a function at a church... And people will look at you and assume the worst of you, even though you're faithful. That's a disgrace. This was a bitter pill. This was a, a bitter seed, and it had, it had rooted itself in bitterness. Now, it didn't tell them, it didn't cause them to, to, to stop serving God because they were faithful. They were faithful, but deep inside, there was this gnawing, this, this, this feeling that kept continuing and kept going and kept going all the time, and they could never get rid of it. I don't know about you, but I've dealt with those kinds of things in my life. I've dealt with those kinds of things where you, where you walk in the room and you just know the topic's going to come up and you say, what am, what am I going to say? For them, it was a child. For us, it may be a child, it may be other circumstances. But here comes a great life-altering moment. Don't you love God? <laughs> Zechariah had been chosen by lot, cast a lot, 
to go in and burn incense. Here they are. Here he is serving as a priest. And he says, okay, we're going to cast a lot to see who goes in. To be by himself in the holy place. You walk into the holy place, there's a curtain, and straight in front of you is the altar of incense. And on the other side of it is the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah or visible presence of God dwells between the cherubs over the Ark of the Covenant. You walk in that room, there's nothing between you and God but a curtain. He goes in to burn his incense, and when he goes in there, he, he sees an angel. Let's read it. Verses 11 and 12 and 13. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Hold on a minute. Everybody say prayer. This man was old. And this angel had the nerve to say, your prayer has been answered. Which one? The first one when I asked for a son? The first one when I was 17, 18 years old? Or the one now when I'm 65, 70? I don't know how old he was. Which one? Because we cried out to God day and night for a long time. My wife wouldn't get out of bed for months. Crying, sobbing, depressed. Which prayer did you hear? I don't know. Maybe the first one. God's like that, you know, just so you know. I heard your prayer. But it just wasn't time yet, Zechariah. I got something bigger I'm doing, Zechariah. All those struggles... All those wondering and asking and seeking and knocking and seemingly without an answer. And now it's been answered. And this was such an intense answer that (laughs) he was kind of deafened by what he was going to hear afterward. There's an angel in front of me that says I'm going to have a son. That's as far as he got. Listen to what he says about the boy. Verses 14 through 17. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. What parent wouldn't want to hear that one? Huh? In other words, your kid's not going to be rebellious. He's not going to fight you. He's not going to turn away from the truth. He's not going to run away. He's going to be a delight. He's going to be enjoyable. He's going to be a delight to you, and others are going to rejoice because of his birth. What parent wouldn't want to hear that? What an awesome blessing. Amen? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Kids are great. They're a blessing and they're a wonderful thing. But even as little babies, you you hold them in your arms and you look at them and you dream dreams for them and what you want them to be. But we also know that they can turn and break your heart quicker than anybody else that you know. He got a promise from the beginning that's not going to happen. What a blessing. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Listen to that. Listen, this is before the baby was conceived that the angel is telling him this. Are you serious? He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord? He's going to be a Nazarite? Like Samson? Oh, my boy ain't going to be like Samson. He can't be like Samson. just said he's going to be a joy. And Samson wasn't always a joy. But he's going to be a Nazarite. 
He's got a plan and a purpose. Can you imagine the day that his wife Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit? What went through his head? It happened. He's going to be filled with the Spirit from birth. What an awesome promise. My son's got a purpose. My son has a purpose. He was successful. He's going to be successful in his calling. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. Listen to this. Think about Zechariah hearing that he's going to bring back the people of Israel back to God. This man who over, over this 400 year period was a righteous priest in a time where the priesthood was just messed up. And finally he's like, my son, my son's going to bring forth what it is that I've been asking for all this time. My son's going to lead, lead in righteousness. My son is going to help call back sons to fathers and, and, and mothers to daughters and all these things. We're, my son is going to draw people to the Lord. And then this, this one's huge. Verse 17, and he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Elijah. Can you imagine for a priest who knows the scriptures, who knows what the word of God says, who understands who Elijah is? Elijah didn't die, y'all. Elijah got to be taken to heaven on a chariot of fire. Sorry, this side of the brain sometimes kicks in. For, for, for somebody to sit back and say, for, for an angel to say, your son's going to have a same type of ministry as an Elijah. Okay, let, let's put this in terms that all of us unspiritual people can understand. Dad's in the room. Your son is, is, is going to be born, and he's going to go in the fourth in the power of Pistol Pete Maravich to play basketball. Some of you say, I figured you'd have said Michael Jordan. No. LeBron, no. Pistol Pete. Maybe Larry Bird. Listen, Elijah as a prophet, you didn't mess with Elijah. That was a, that was a great, awesome promise that Elijah, but he couldn't hear this. Was it too good to be true? Was this more than he could understand? His emotions of pain and rejection had overflowed into disbelief. And look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the question. So how how can I be sure of this? (laughs) What? I'm I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. (laughs) The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. I know he loved God. I know that he'd be faithful, but he questioned. He'd accepted the fact that he would not have a child of his own. Elizabeth had two, and now this angel says this to him. And he would have to go back to Elizabeth and stir up a topic that was probably avoided at all cost. Just let that sink in for a moment. Listen. I understand this. I love my wife dearly. She loves me. I have seen her go through some stuff. And as a husband, I like to protect 
We've lost a couple of babies early, but it was a loss. We've had other issues we've dealt with. There are some things that when you, when you get through a battle, you don't revisit it. You don't just sit around at the dinner table and bring it up again. You know what I'm saying? You don't take the dagger out, wait for a week or two until we feel better, and just thrust it back in again. I don't have a whole lot of a judgmental attitude towards Zechariah with this question. How can I be sure? Because whether, you've, whether you have lost children or you have, or you have not been able to conceive, it's a loss. People who have not been able to conceive but wanted to conceive, they feel like they've experienced death. It's a loss. And Zechariah is going, seriously? You want me to go back and talk? How can I be sure? Because if this is another test from you, if this is another test from God just to test our faithfulness and grow us and make us stronger and all the good things that Christian people say about every test, that this is going to work out for your good and God makes everything work out. Listen, if that's what this is, I don't want to go tell my wife. You say, preacher, you're reading into it a little bit too much. Remember where she said, disgrace? I want to be sure. The angel did something better than give him a yes. He said, I'm going to shut your mouth. (laughs) Don't you think sometimes with our disbelief, God just says, would you just shut up? And if you don't shut up, I'm going to shut you up myself. Zechariah, I justify, his feelings are justified. His question is justified. And we can justify our disbelief all we want to, but if an angel stands before you and says something, and says, I'm Gabriel, what are you questioning me for? I stand in the presence of God, and He told me to come find you. He made the rock drop to you. He didn't make it drop to somebody else. It dropped to you to be in here at this moment. This is an appointed time by the Father from the prayer. One prayer that you prayed years ago that has been sent here for now. And now you're going to question. Yes, sir. He says, you can't speak. You see, Sometimes there are some things that God has that's too precious for us to talk negative about because he's doing a greater work through. He doesn't want us to go out and spread some kind of negativity before we fully grasp and understand what he's trying to do in the midst of all of it. He went home, Scripture says, Elizabeth conceived, was in seclusion for five months, but he came out silent, couldn't speak for nine months. Now, ladies, I know... Some of you are saying, I've been married to him for 35 years. He hasn't spoken to me since we got married. (laughs) Guys are notorious for this. And meanwhile, guys are saying, wow, I can't speak for nine months? Is that all right? Is that okay? For nine months, he comes out, he can't say hi to his neighbor. He he comes out of the building and goes, So he's got to write it all out for him. But for nine months, he can't talk. 
For nine months, he can't say hi to his neighbor. For nine months, as a priest, he can't expound on the Word of God. He can't even joyfully tell people that his wife is pregnant. She goes into seclusion for five months. Disgrace had been too much. Disgrace had been hard. And he can't speak for nine months. For nine months, who do you talk to if you can't talk? Talk to me. Ladies, have you ever sit with your husband watching a television show? Probably one of those sappy Hallmark Christmas movies in which we, we watch because it's the season for it. And as you're watching it, he's looking at the TV. And they say something, you didn't quite catch it. And you say, what, what did they say? And he goes, huh, what? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, well, I thought you were watching it. I was. And he was. His eyes were watching it. But he was having an internal conversation. That's what, guys, is this true or false? And usually when you get interrupted in that internal conversation, you forget what you're even talking about. What were you thinking about? I don't know. Really? I don't. I don't. And then you're like thinking, am I crazy? What's going on? For nine months, Zechariah's voice was taken away to where all he had to do, all he could do was talk to himself and God about what happened to him. For nine months, he evaluated. For nine months, he remembered. For nine months, he contemplated the things that were said. He was pondering what was said. He was worried about what was said. He heard it. Finally, for nine months, he was reflective. And Elizabeth finally gives birth. And eight days, excuse me, eight days later, at his circumcision, which is when they would name the baby. What name do you give this child? And Elizabeth says, his name shall be John. And everybody goes, oh. looks at Zechariah. <laughs> like, what do you got to say about that? And it's like, you know what, that's a really mean joke. And Zechariah takes out and he writes on his slate, his name shall be called John. Because you remember the angel said, and you shall name him John. And as soon as Zechariah wrote it down, his tongue was loosed. After nine months of silence, after nine months of contemplation, after decades of disgrace, decades of serving God faithfully and feeling that you're not really seeing the fruit of it, wondering where he stood with God, he beheld everything along the line for that nine months. He heard, whether he was in the room with Elizabeth or not, I don't know. But when Mary walked in, he knew that his wife had been filled with the Holy Spirit. All of these things for a nine-month period. What does a person say? Let's look. It turns into a praise. Beginning in verse 67, we see his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Listen, if you're going to go out and prophesy and you're going to speak something about God, make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit to do it. Amen? Amen? Amen. You see that consistently with each one of these. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and then they prophesy. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come and has redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said through His holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, 
to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness for nine months. Zechariah, a man who knew the scriptures, searched them out to see about this Messiah to see whether or not he is the lineage of David. He prophesies it, speaks about it here. For nine months, he speaks about and sees and recognizes the horn of salvation that's coming. He recognizes and confirms that this is the same moment that the prophets spoke of. He confirms, listen guys, men in the room, it, it, it does us good to have some silence and some contemplation on the scripture and on what God has said. Amen? This was a man that could see clearly filled with the Spirit of God and recognizing that this is, this is a, a, an eternal moment stating all the way back to Abraham's covenant, our father Abraham. He found the seed in his life that had once become bitter and dormant, now was springing to life with joy, excitement, and anticipation. Think of it this way. What if an angel appeared to you today and said, in nine months, in nine months, Jesus Christ is returning to the earth as the Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's going to set up his kingdom, and you're going to have a child, and that child's going to prepare the way. Let's just say something like that. And for nine months, you can't talk about it. That's the kind of joy for nine months, silent, as this man began to search the scriptures and to find out the truth so that when he had an opportunity to praise, he did praise. Speaking of that horn, that strength, the authority, the power that's going to become, that's going to come from uh, the, 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 the Messiah, the one that the prophets had spoken of. He said it already had come, that the Messiah had come, that God praised the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. You say, well, Jesus hadn't come yet. Yes, he had. He's only three months in the womb. <laughs> Zechariah knew. He said, you don't believe he hasn't come? Look at the lump on that girl's belly. He's coming out. And he will be the king of kings and lord of lords. They didn't understand the the process that he was going to the cross, but they knew he was the Messiah. This horn that we speak of, this horn that he's talking about, is is coming to rescue us from the hand of the enemies and so on and so forth. To have peace, no fear, holiness and righteousness. Those things are vitally important. If you're going to sing a song, if you're going to be full of the Spirit of God and sing a song, it better be about the Lord. Amen? Secondly, he turns and speaks a blessing over his son then in Luke 1 verses 76 through 80. And you, my child, you, my child, my child. You realize how long you had to wait to say that? My child. Will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. The very name John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. The full meaning of this name was wrapped up in the father's heart and mind as he looks at his little boy, not for the very first time, but eight days later, looking at him and holding him and speaking these things over him, pondering for all those months, what am I going to say to my son when I have an opportunity to speak? This gift was not only for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but it was also for the nation of Israel and for the Lord himself. There would be much responsibility in Zechariah's life. 
When you've been entrusted with a child, you have been entrusted with a great responsibility to make that child not only a blessing to you, but a blessing to uh, others and to God as well. It's vitally important. Sometimes we have this tendency to think that when we have a child, it's for me to enjoy. It's my child. I'll enjoy this child to bless the child, bless the child, spoil the child, give to the child, make, make, live vicariously through the child's life, compete with other people through my child. Oh, we're all guilty of it. Even myself. So you have to stop it. It's not what it's about. When God gives us a gift, He gives us a gift that He's entrusted to our hands. Not a gift that, that could act like, like Samson did. It's a big, big responsibility. Zechariah's first order of business as a new parent with a loosed tongue was to prophesy over his son. You will be called a prophet of the Most High. I wonder how many times that came up around the dinner table. When John the Baptist was just a little fella. Hey, Dad. Some of the guys are going to go down to the pool hall and shoot pool this weekend. I'm going to go hang out with them. You're going to what? You're going to go hang out with those boys. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with shooting pool. I don't got no problem with shooting pool. I have a problem with those boys. Why do you want to go hang out with those boys? I don't know. They're my friends. I want to go hang out with them. You are the prophet of the Most High God. You, you have no business joining yourself with characters who are unrepentant and serving their flesh. You know, parents, a lot of times we, we lose our kids because we don't prophesy over them who they are in Christ. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know, you know what, little John? And I know John didn't fight him on it because the Lord said he's going to be a blessing. Amen? But even the best little blessed kids need instruction. Amen? You are not going to be a Samson Nazarite. I can tell you that right now. I will beat the Samson out of you. Cut your hair. Cut your hair and beat you with it. Get in your room. Moms and dads, we need to prophesy over our kids. The laying on of hands, prayer, looking them in the eye and calling out the Spirit of God in them. It is vital to their mental, physical, and spiritual development. My kids have never been told you can't do that because you're the preacher's kid. Never. But they have been told, with your calling on your life, you really want to compromise that? You have gifts that God's wanting to use. Why would you limit yourself with that behavior? You take the responsibility and you place it on them. John uh, Zechariah did that. And this calling was not a burden. The scripture said it was a tender mercy according to Zechariah. He had come to grips with the impact of the moment. In verse 79 it says, To shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And, and, he, and I know he's referring there, having searched the scriptures, what is my son's role in all of this? The Messiah is coming. What is it? Where does he fulfill this? And we see this right here, making a reference all the way back to Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light is dawned. We know the ultimate light was Jesus Christ, but John himself preceded him and, and was a light and a voice in the wilderness to those who were seeking truth. He told them to repent of their sins told them to be baptized. He called out for them to repent. In closing, we have no idea how old Zechariah was. 
And I don't know if he ever had an opportunity to see John come into his ministry. I doubt it, but I don't know. And I'm pretty sure he probably didn't get to hear what Jesus said about him. But listen to what Jesus said about John in Matthew chapter 11. Beginning in verse 7 through 11. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What a compliment. Moms and dads, have you ever stood by and heard somebody say publicly really nice things about one of your kids? That's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? And I don't think that Zechariah probably got to stand there and hear it with his ears, but I'm sure he understands. I'm sure that he knew. What a compliment. If Zechariah could have been there to hear, he would have probably said he had succeeded. He was unwavering. He was strong. He was not a reed that was broken or bent by the wind. He stood strong for his truth. He wasn't like Samson who was chasing after his own things. He was a prophet, but Jesus said he was more than a prophet. Mm. Jesus said he was more than a prophet. John got to wave the banner in the Jesus parade. He's coming. He's coming. Place of honor. You say, Pastor, why did you go through all this? Because sometimes we struggle with things that are so difficult. Sometimes we receive promises and we feel like the Lord has given us hope in a situation that He's spoken to our heart and decades have passed. Moments have passed and times you go, did I really hear from the Lord? Was that an angel that spoke to me for real or was I just eat some bad pizza before I went to bed? What, what was it? Because I'm going to be honest with you, there's, there's at least one of those in my life that the Lord spoke to me so clear years and years ago. And I've had to stop many times and say, God, what in the world are you doing? Do you even remember? Do you even remember, Lord, that you spoke that to me? You remember, do, you, do you remember your promises? And I want to say this to you prophetically this morning. The Lord heard your prayer. He heard your prayer. Not just your prayers. Which one, Pastor? The first one. And in His timing, He's able to bring things forth. And I can't promise you that everything's going to look like what you want it to look like or what you think it's going to look like, but I can promise you that our God is faithful. And I will give you this advice. Stop talking about it. Be silent. Converse with the Lord. 
Search the Scriptures. Let your faith be encouraged. And when He breaks through in that area, be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak forth the truth. That's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. Somebody said, well, gee, Pastor Bob, I never really got that out of that story of Zechariah before. Me either. (laughs) But it's encouraged me this week. And I know that I know that I know that my God is able. So as we pray, let's just seek Him for a moment and allow Him to reveal those areas to you. And I want you to be, I want you to contemplate what those areas are in your life, those areas where the Lord has spoken to you and you've kind of pushed it away and said, you know what, that's probably just not going to happen. I must have misheard, I must have misunderstood. And I want you to look back to that. Just close your eyes with me, if you will. That moment, whatever it was, the burden, the wound, the hurt, the pain, that, that is not a seed sent to you by God to destroy you. It's a seed that's intended to bring forth praise in your life. And He's able to do it. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, I have one of those areas, just by an uplifted hand, where you're at, just raise your hand and say, that's me, I've got an area that I've, I've almost given up on. Several hands, several Lift them high. Don't don't be ashamed of it. It may be an area of disgrace and you think everybody's looking at you, but we're not. I'm telling you, folks, we've all dealt with these things. Several hands, several hands all over this place. We're just going to agree together, every one of us in this room. Those of you that didn't raise your hands, you had people near you. You had people near you. Just begin to ask God to cover and surround those that are around you. Father, every hand that was raised in this place... Lord, there are promises. There are people that have asked and believed for something that they've not seen come come into fruition. But God, they've had their faith challenged. They've been fearful. They've they've felt distant at times. They felt like people have condemned them at times. Some of them, Lord, when they walk into rooms, they wonder what people are thinking about them. But I pray, Father, that you would give them encouragement when they have times that they're quiet and they seek you. I pray, Father, that you would empower them. And Lord, that you would give them an expectation that they've not had in years. Just as Zechariah expected that baby to be born, just as he knew there was a date coming, give them an expectation. Give them eyes that are looking for the breakthrough. And God, give them opportunity and a desire to be silent, to wait on you, to seek you out in the Word, and to be encouraged by your Spirit. Begin to break forth now, even now, Lord Jesus. Those family circumstances, those situations that seem unrepairable. God, the the lifestyle decisions of children, Father, the, the, the... the attitudes of co-workers, impossible situations, things that seem impossible, health issues, Father. Begin to move in those health issues. Financial issues, Lord. Things that are out of our control. Not, not frivolous spending, God, but just bad circumstances that were out of our control, Father. I pray that you would begin to provide, you would begin to open doors, and that we would look for them again. That we would look for the provision 
That we wouldn't walk into that conversation with that angry family member assuming the worst. We would walk in expecting reconciliation. Because you are in charge. You are on the throne. So many of us, Father, in need of different things. And you, by your Spirit, we've asked you to be here. You are here. And you are moving. And God, when you do move and those doors are open and those things are set right and there's a breakthrough, fill them with your Spirit and give them an opportunity to prophesy about it. Give them the words. Loose their lips and their tongues, Lord. 